But it's good to see all of you here this morning. So Genesis chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning as we continue our series on prayer. And after looking for two weeks at the instructions of Jesus on prayer, we're actually going to get to a, an actual prayer, if you will, of, uh, of one in the Bible. And this, uh, this one is Abraham and his intercession for the cities on the plain. Uh, many times what are more commonly known as Sodom and, and Gomorrah, but there were other cities as well. And, and what we're going to discover this morning, I, I think, are a couple of things. One is that prayer is not a standalone exercise by us as Christians. You know, sometimes we might think that when I, I pray to God that, that, you know, prayer is then something that I do and it, it, it doesn't connect with anything else in my, in my relationship with God or my spiritual life. But what we're going to see this morning is it's actually a continuation of a healthy interaction and relationship with God. And it's not something that God ever designed to stand alone. It's actually something that is fueled and ignited by other things in my life with God. And then in turn, my prayer life then fuels and ignites ignites other things as well. Sort of like a circle, okay? The second thing we're going to see today is what reinforces sort of the things we've been talking about the first couple of weeks, is that God designed prayer to be something that solidifies in our life who He is. We've got to know who God is, and prayer enables us to do that. And then third, God wants to use prayer in our life to shape our heart. To change our hearts, maybe. Obviously, to make our heart more like his heart as he looks out upon this world. And so we're going to see that today as well. So before we actually get to, if you will, Abraham's prayer, I want to go back to the beginning of chapter 18 of Genesis and show you what sort of leads to Abraham responding to God in prayer. Because again, it all sort of works together. You can't Study this standalone. There's other things that have contributed to the fact that now Abraham is opening up his mouth to God and he's pouring out his heart to God and he's praying and he's interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. So we start in chapter 18 with this. Notice, God revealed himself to Abraham. In verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the hottest time of the day. The word appeared literally means to visit with. God wanted to come down and visit with Abraham. He wanted to spend time with Abraham. God wanted to reveal himself to Abraham. Can I say to you today, God wants to visit with you today. He wants to spend time with you today. He, as the God of the universe, wants to reveal himself to you. Now, here's the important thing. God will always come down and seek to visit with us and reveal himself to us. But in order for this to continue... We have to respond the way Abraham did. Because notice here then in verse 2 and verse 3, Abraham welcomed God's revelation. Notice what it says. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing across from him. I believe two of these three were angels and one was the Lord himself. 
a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he saw three men standing across from him. And when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by and leave your servant. Do not pass on. Stay. I welcome this revelation. I, I welcome this visit. I want you to stay. Let's interact for a while. And so we see that when God comes and wants to visit with us and stay with us, that he's hoping, like Abraham, we'll have the same response. God, this is good. Thanks for coming by and visiting. I welcome it. And notice something I think it's important, especially for us Americans. We've got to obviously be people that have somewhat of a schedule and plan and all that. Nothing wrong with that. But we better in our lives have enough flexibility because we don't know all these times that God really wants to come in and visit with us and reveal some more of himself to us. And if we're so locked in, we're not going to respond like Abraham. We're going to go, God, this isn't a good time for me. Can you, know, can you come back later? And I think what we have to learn to do as believers in Jesus Christ is have somewhat of a flexibility so that, that when we know God is speaking to us and wants to visit with us for a while and wants to reveal himself, that we're like Abraham saying, oh yeah, God, you know what? I had some other things planned, but obviously this is, this is the priority. This is more important. Let's stay for a while and let's interact. And that's what we see Abraham doing here. And because Abraham welcomed God's revelation and said, God, you stay. Let's interact. Notice what happens. Fellowship resulted. And by the way, I have to, you, you know our church, if you, if you know our church at all, you know we're all about food. But you'll notice that food was very part of the fellowship that Abraham wanted to have with the Lord and these two angels. In fact, it was a way for him to express himself in a loving, caring way to these very special visitors. So notice what it says in verse 4. Let a little water be brought so that you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me set a bit of food so that you may refresh yourself since you have passed by your servant's home. And after that, you may be on your way. All right, they replied. You may do as you say. And notice something else. Even though Abraham was a man who had great wealth and influence and had many servants himself, that he only asked one servant to do some cooking for him, but the rest, he and his wife did themselves. They sort of threw together at the last minute uh, a, a pretty good meal, if you will. Because notice what it says in verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick! You can just see a husband doing this, right? Take three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make some bread. Then Abraham ran to the herd. Not like he asked his wife to do everything. He ran to the herd. He chose a fine, tender calf and gave it to a servant, probably his head chef, if you will, his cook, who quickly prepared it. 
Then Abraham took some curds and milk along with the calf that had been prepared and placed the food before them. And they ate while he was standing near them under the tree. Literally the word near means face to face. As these three visitors were entering into fellowship, there's Abraham face to face with the Lord himself and these two angels. So notice again what's happened. God comes down and wants to visit with Abraham. He wants to reveal himself to Abraham. Abraham welcomes that revelation and says, yeah, Lord, stay. And because he welcomed that revelation, fellowship happened. You see? Fellowship happened. They were sharing a meal and more time together. And that's really what God wants to do with us. He wants to fellowship with us. And it's not just about being around food. It's about interacting and spending time together and getting to know one another better and connecting on a deeper level. This is why at the Oasis, we have potlucks. Folks, potlucks aren't just for the food, even though the food is fantastic here that you all bring. That's awesome that we get to enjoy that. But the the main reason we have potlucks is not just to enjoy a good meal. It's to give ourselves as a church family time to fellowship, to interact, to get to know each other better. That's what real fellowship is. If I sit down with my brothers and sisters in Christ and I enjoy a great meal, but I don't interact with each other, I don't get to know anybody else better, then biblical fellowship has not happened. Because you'll notice something else here. That because they fellowshipped, there was now going to be further revelation and greater understanding that was going to come to Abraham. That's one of the main reasons why God wants to fellowship with us. Because again, the more time we spend with him, the more time we interact with him, Then he begins to even reveal more of himself and his plan and his thoughts and his mind to us. And when he does that, then you and I get greater understanding. We're like the light bulb goes off. Oh, okay, God, I'm starting to get this now. Reminds us of a verse we looked at a couple weeks ago on Tuesday night where Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because servants do not know what the master's up to. I call you friends because everything I've heard from my father, I've revealed to you. Now, think about that. I call you friends. Remember what James called Abraham in the book of James? A friend of God. Why was Abraham called a friend of God? Because just like the disciples, God wanted to reveal himself to Abraham. Abraham welcomed it, fellowship resulted, and because of this extra fellowship, further revelation and greater understanding was going to come to Abraham. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, and you truly want to know God more, and you want a greater understanding of God and his plan and his will and his ways, it comes through fellowship, you see. And so notice what God does here. Then beginning in verse 9, he starts sharing with Abraham what he's got planned. He says, hey, where's your wife, Sarah? He replied there in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you when the season comes around again and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. 
Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, not far behind him, and Abraham and Sarah were old and advancing in years, and Sarah had long since passed menopause. So Sarah laughed to herself, thinking, after I'm worn out with, will I have pleasure, especially when my husband's old too? Boy, she was a ray of sunshine, wasn't she? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? Is anything beyond God's power or too difficult? This is something that God wanted Abraham and Sarah to get. He was revealing who he was, you see, to them. And he wanted this to be solidified in their life. Then he goes on, I will return to you when the season comes round again and Sarah will have a son. Then Sarah lied saying, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. And I love the Lord's response here. He doesn't let her get away with it, does he? He said, no, you, you did laugh. <laughs> Don't tell me you didn't laugh. You did. So notice again what happens here. Very important because again, What this passage teaches us is that prayer is not a standalone exercise. Prayer is part of something bigger. Prayer comes whenever God reveals himself and wants to visit with us and make himself further known to us. And we welcome it like Abraham. Fellowship results, which also then results in further revelation and greater understanding. And that's what begins to fuel my prayer life. Because the more that God reveals to me and the more I understand, it starts to then, starts to get me thinking about things that I can, I want to talk to God even more about, which we're going to see in just a minute. Notice something else that God further revealed to Abraham. Verse 16, when the men got up to leave, they looked out over Sodom and Abraham was walking with them, literally conversing with them as he walked to see them on their way. And the Lord said, should I hide from Abraham? Should I conceal knowledge from Abraham about what I'm about to do? After all, Abraham surely will become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on the earth will pronounce blessings on one another using his name. I've even chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. In other words, God is saying, look, I know that Abraham is going to be a primary influence in this world. People are going to listen to Abraham. His children are going to listen to him. Extended, you know, people out from his own family. Many people are going to listen to this man. So I want this man to understand who I am accurately because everything that he passes on about me is going to be a great influence on others. And I want to make sure that they get this right. That he's accurately going to represent me and understand me and my ways so that he can pass that on to others. We just had child dedication here this morning. And that's one of the great things that God wants to say to parents and grandparents and anyone who has influence on these young children. And that is let's make sure that we're walking with God and that we've got God right so that we can pass accurately who God is and what God is all about to the next generation. Otherwise, the next generation will truly not know God like we do. It's our responsibility. And so, in verse 20, 
the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so blatant that I must go down and see if they are as wicked as the outcry suggests. If not, I want to know. Now notice something that's happening here, very important. God is literally the God of glory, the God of the universe, is condescending and stooping down to our level as human beings. He's using human terms to describe the infinite, indescribable God that he is. That's why he uses these terms of of humanness, if you will, to describe him looking into the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, he's an omniscient God. He knows everything all the time. But in order for Abraham to understand that God is about ready to judge these people and God is not doing this casually or carelessly, that God has taken time to to come down, if you will, and to examine the situation thoroughly to get a perfect and complete understanding about what's going on there in those cities before judgment comes. That's why he uses this language. He wants Abraham to get the fact that, again, what he's about to do, it's not like he hasn't put thought into it. And it's not like he doesn't know exactly what's going on. So he uses these terms, again, to describe who he is as the great God down to a level where Abraham and you and I can understand. Because if God tried to describe who he really was to us without using terms that we could relate to, We'd have a really hard time. Which is why it's just so incredible that at one time in history, the God of the universe was willing to, in a sense, envelop himself in human flesh. Because he's so much greater than being contained in a body like ours. But he willingly did it to show accurately who God is and to demonstrate that to us. So notice then what happens. The two men, who I believe were angels, turned and headed toward Sodom, verse 22. But Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And it's out of all this now that Abraham approached the Lord and said, Lord, will you sweep away the godly along with the wicked? And now Abraham is responding in prayer. He begins to intercede for the places of Sodom and Gomorrah to the Lord. So again, notice how this is all happening. It all started because God revealed himself to Abraham. Abraham welcomed God's revelation. Through that, fellowship with God resulted. Through that fellowship, further revelation and greater understanding was coming to Abraham. And it was out of that further revelation and greater understanding that now Abraham had to talk to God about some things, you see. That's why prayer is not a standalone exercise. It is incorporated in a healthy, ongoing connection with God and our personal relationship with God. It's born out of our fellowship and out of the revelation and understanding that God gives us when we spend time with Him. You see. So if a Christian is not allowing God to reveal himself and he's not visiting with God, if you will, when God wants to visit and and there's no fellowship taking place, then obviously our prayer life is going to suffer because they're all fueled out of the same thing. It's like a big circle. The revelation 
creates fellowship. The fellowship creates further revelation and understanding. And that fuels our prayer life. And then in turn, the more we pray, the more we interact and communicate with God and talk to Him about things, then that brings us right back around to more revelation, more fellowship, and it just goes on and on and on. It's this wonderful thing that God created. And that's what we see happening here. I wanted to say this as well. The word approached in verse 23 literally means to draw near. Abraham was now drawing near to God as he was about to converse with God and pray. And by the way, this is the first time in the Bible. Genesis 18 verse 23. This is the first time in the Bible that a human being initiates conversation with God. Up to this point in human history, from Genesis 1-1 up through Genesis 18-22, anytime God was conversing with someone, God initiated the conversation. This is the first time a human being initiated conversation with God. And what's Abraham praying about here? Well, notice in his prayer a couple things. Because Abraham knows God to some level, and because he's already had fellowship with God, and he knows God in a certain way, he's just simply solidifying who he knows God to be as he prays, you see. And also, God is using this moment in Abraham's life to shape Abraham's heart and to change Abraham's heart because now Abraham is going to begin to pray and talk to God about people that he doesn't even know. And he's going to have a compassion and an empathy and a sympathy for people that he's never even met. And that's what God wants to do with us. In prayer, he wants to solidify who he is. And he also wants to create a heart like his for other people when we pray. And we see this in Abraham's prayer. Notice what Abraham prayed. Will you sweep away the godly along with the wicked? Verse 24. What if there are 50 godly people in the city, God? Will you really wipe it out and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 godly people who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the godly with the wicked, treating the godly and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the whole earth do what is right? Now, a couple things. Notice what Abraham's, again, saying and what is being solidified in his mind. First of all, you'll notice something here. Abraham never tries to talk God out of judging. He never says, God, you're wrong to judge at all. That's not the question. Because guess what? God knows, or Abraham knows God. He knows that his God is a holy, righteous God. And that part of his plan is that there will be judgment. There will be judgment. See, unlike today where you have, you know, churches and false teachers and people out there say, well, you know, the God of the Bible is a God of love and therefore he'll never judge. You don't know our God. You don't know the God of the Bible. Because if you knew him, you would know that judgment is part of him and his plan. And it's not something that negates his love. 
It doesn't mean that when he judges that somehow he's being unloving. In fact, it means just the opposite. It's actually an expression of his love when he judges. It's a warped way people look at love today. Just like if you were to say, well, our society here in America is such an unloving society. Because we have courts. And we have places where people are judged for breaking the law. And man, that should just not be. People should just be allowed to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it. And they should just be allowed to just do it. And nobody should ever sit in judgment because that's unloving. Is that what you think of our society? I hope not. I hope you understand that standing up for law... And recognizing that there's a right or wrong and that there are certain consequences when people break those laws is not being unloving. It's actually being loving. Or else chaos and anarchy will sweep over lands and nations and nations will actually be destroyed. That's what parents need to be reminded of, especially, again, in our passive society where people think that loving children means letting them do whatever they want to do. It doesn't mean disciplining them. It doesn't mean correcting them at all. But that's not what you find in the Bible because God says if you truly love your children, you will discipline them and correct them. You don't just let them go do whatever they want to do. That's not love at all. That's actually being very unloving and uncaring. And so we see here that that's being solidified. He has no trouble with God judging. But here's what he does say to God. Again, I direct your attention to verse 23. Will you sweep away the godly along with the wicked? Verse 25. Far be it from you, God, to treat the godly and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. I know you, God. I know what you've revealed already about yourself. You don't treat the godly and the wicked alike, right? You always make sure that there's a separateness there. That you deal with one differently than you deal with the other. And that was actually going to be affirmed and solidified in Abraham's mind. In fact, that's a pattern that you see throughout Scripture. Where God does separate, if you will, in judgment the godly from the wicked. Whether you're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, where he allows Lot and his family to get out before judgment you know, falls. Whether you're talking about Noah and his family in the ark being saved through judgment on the world. Over and over again, you see this pattern where God makes sure that he pulls the godly out before his judgment descends. Which, by the way, can I just say... For all those today who believe in a mid-trib rapture or post-tribulation rapture, I believe that, again, from Genesis through Revelation, it clearly teaches the pattern that God always removes His people before His judgment comes. And therefore, I think it's the clear teaching of Scripture that the rapture of the church, those saints of God, will be taken out of the world before the tribulation comes. Because it's always been that way. If you know God, you know that's the way it is. Just like Abraham. Far be it from you, God, to treat the godly and the wicked the same. You've never done that. 
You're not going to do that this time, right? And then the other thing you see Abraham doing is this. When he begins to say to God, God, what if there's 50 righteous people? Would you spare the city if there's 50? What if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? Finally, what if there's 10? Would you spare the city, God, if you even found 10 righteous people? And God said, yeah, I I would spare the city for 10. Then what's God saying? God's saying that he doesn't need a lot of people to be an influence on a greater majority. He's never needed that because he's God. He can take a very small minority of people and still influence a greater majority, which is what he's hoping his church will rise up and do today. Are we the majority in the world today? No, we're not. God doesn't need a majority. God just needs a small group of dedicated, committed, devoted believers to Jesus Christ to begin living it. And he'll turn the world upside down. That's who God is, you see. And so what we see here is God saying, if I felt and knew that there were enough righteous people to somehow influence that city and turn that city around, I'd spare it. Because God takes no pleasure in judgment. And God doesn't treat it in a casual, careless way. God has created these people he's about ready to judge. They're his creation. But God will judge one day. That you can be sure of as well. Not because he's unloving, but because he is a just God. He's a God of justice. And he's a God of vindication. And the Bible clearly teaches, if you know the God of the Bible, you know that will also be part of his plan one day. In fact, that's why Abraham says in verse 25, Far be it from you, will you, the judge of the whole earth, won't you do what's right? Won't you be just? Won't you bring justice? Yeah. One day God will right all the wrongs. He will bring justice. He is a just God. This is one of the things that gives us hope. You see. So all of these things were being solidified in the mind of Abraham as he prayed. But I think there were some other things. Obviously something else God wanted Abraham and Sarah and others to get was, there's nothing too difficult or beyond my power. Again, I direct your attention back to verse 14 of chapter 18. Is anything impossible for the Lord? God wants his people to get that today. That as we pray to him, do we really believe that there are things that is beyond his power? That's too difficult for him? If we believe that he is a God that nothing is too difficult for, nothing is impossible for, then obviously that's going to encourage prayer. Because no matter what situation or thing we find ourselves in, we know that God is bigger than that situation because there is nothing too difficult or beyond his power to deal with. And there's nothing that he cannot enable us to be able to go through, no matter how horrific it is. That's my God. And that's why I'll go to him in prayer and seek his face and his fellowship. But again, I want to mention this. There's something else that was happening here. 
not only was who God was being solidified in Abraham so that he could primarily influence so many others about who this God was in an accurate way. But God was using this conversation with Abraham to shape Abraham's heart. To change Abraham's heart. To give Abraham a heart of compassion and sympathy. Again, and empathy for people that he didn't know. He was praying for these cities. And he, the only people that he knew in those cities was his nephew Lot and his family. That was it. And yet he was praying for people that he didn't know. He had that much concern about people that he didn't know. God wants to create that kind of a heart in us. He wants to shape that kind of a heart in us. And as a Christian, if you've been a Christian for a while now, you will find yourself at times being asked by God to pray and intercede and talk to Him about people that you've never met or don't even know. And if you and I don't have that heart that God has for others then we won't, we won't pray for them. I mean, we, we might say, somebody comes up and says, and we don't know them very well, and they say, hey, w- would you pray for me? You know, the, the normal pat answers, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then do we really go home and literally wrestle with God in prayer and, and spend time with God in prayer? Or do we just sort of slough it off and not really spend the time that we could or should And really what the root cause of it is, is we really don't have a heart for that other person and what they're going through. Because if we really had empathy and sympathy and the heart of God for them, we would be praying for them even if we didn't know them very well. That's why God calls us to be people of prayer. Because in our time with Him in prayer, He solidifies who He is to us. So that we then can properly and accurately influence others about who he is and what he's all about. And he wants to take this time in prayer to create a new heart. To take away that heart of stone. That cold heart towards others. And give us a heart of compassion and sympathy and empathy so that we are willing not just to pray for ourselves and pray for the people that we know who are close to, but we're even willing to pray for people across the world that we've never met. But that we know that there's needs there. That's the kind of people God wants to create us to be. And that's why Abraham goes all the way down and finally says, God, what if there's 10 people there? Would you spare the city? And God said, yeah. If I had found 10 people, I would have spared it. And then the Bible closes out chapter 18, verse 33, when the Lord went on his way, when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned home. And by the way, the words finished speaking literally means that God had accomplished his purpose in speaking to Abraham. See, God had a purpose for revealing himself and coming to visit Abraham and fellowshipping with him and speaking with him. And can I say, my friends, God has that same purpose today. God has a purpose for speaking to you right now. Through his spirit and through it, he has a purpose. He wants to get something across to you right now. He wants you to get something. Just like he wants me to get something today out of our time together with him and with each other. 
He wants this time of welcoming revelation from him to, to, to flow into fellowship. And for that fellowship to give me further revelation and greater understanding of who he is, which then will fuel and ignite my prayer life to where I go, God, I need to talk to you about some things. I need to make sure, God, you are who I know you to be. And have that, again, solidified and reinforced in my life. And then God is going to also, as I said, always use that time to change my heart and shape my heart to be more like His. To give me a heart of compassion, a heart of grace, a heart of forgiveness, a heart of empathy, a heart of sympathy for others, just like He did with Abraham. And then God will leave us for a time, not that He ever literally leaves us, but but what I'm saying is He'll leave us for a time and let that marinate, if you will. He, He wants to let us sort of marinate on what's just happened so that hopefully we'll put some feet to what's happening in my life to where then I can continue on. And then God will make sure that he comes again and clearly begins to speak to me again. Because again, he always wants that interaction and that fellowship in my life. God wanted to visit with us today. He wanted to appear to us today, just as he did to Abraham thousands of years ago. Are we taking advantage of the visit of God today upon us? Normally we close with a song, but I'm going to ask our worship team just to stay where they are today, but I'm going to ask us to stand, please. And close. And as we close our service in prayer today, I just want to leave these thoughts lingering, if you will, in in your hearts and minds. Based upon Genesis chapter 18. What is it about God that He wants you to get today? What does He want about Himself to be solidified and reinforced in your life today? That's one of the things that's happening here. Far be it from you, God. I, I know you're not a, like that, right? What is it that God wants to reinforce and solidify and firm up about who he is today in your heart and mind? And then second, what does God want to do with your heart today? How does he want to change that and shape that heart, especially in relationship to others? And maybe even specifically, is is there someone in your life that God wants you to have more compassion and empathy and sympathy for? 
And maybe it's somebody that you know dearly and you're close to. Maybe it's somebody that you don't even know. Like Abraham. Praying for people in cities that he had never even met. But man, he was storming the the throne of grace, praying for these people. Asking God to, to express mercy rather than judgment as long as he could. And by the way, can I say, if you know the God of the Bible, you know that he is a God that is always more anxious to express mercy than judgment. Paul in the book of Romans tells us the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And if you and I begin to think about how good God has been, hopefully that will change our hearts as well. Because if God would have treated each of us here today in every respect, just as we deserved it throughout our life, I don't think any of us would still be standing here. The reason you and I are still standing here is because God did not treat us as our sins and misdeeds and disobedience deserved. But always more willingly expressed in our lives mercy rather than judgment and consequences. And so what what does God want to do in my heart today? What does He want to do in my heart to make my heart more like His heart when it comes to how we look at other people? This is what we get from Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18. Before we pray and close our time together today, next week, we're going to be looking in the book of Exodus at a prayer of Moses. I hope you'll come back and continue to join us for this series on prayer. Let's pray. God, we thank you for visiting with us today here. For being here and approaching us. Knowing, God, that you wanted to reveal more of yourself to us today. Hopefully everyone here, God, welcomed that. And instead of thinking about, Lord, what, what our week was going to look like and what we even had planned for the rest of the day, hopefully we responded like Abraham who said, God, please stay. Don't pass on. Don't pass by. Just stay. Let's fellowship. Let's, let's interact. Let's connect. Let's talk. And when we are willing to do that, God, you begin to further reveal things and, and give us greater understanding into who you are and your will and your ways in this world. And God, I pray that that's something that we want and desire. 
That we're not satisfied just to know you at the level that we do. But God, we know that there's so much more we could know. And that God, it's also our responsibility to know you in such a way that we can accurately pass on who you are to others. And that you can use our lives to influence others about who you are. Whether it's to our children, our grandchildren, to this next generation, or to whoever it is, God. May we be willing to be a primary influence in other people's lives about you. And God, may we be like Abraham, who instead of waiting for you to always initiate the relationship or the conversation or the contact, that God, just like Abraham, we walk right up to you and we approach you and draw near to you through the blood of Jesus and through the access that Jesus has given us into this relationship with you And we initiate conversation with you, God, and say, God, can we talk about some things? Can we converse about some things? And the great thing about God, unlike human beings, is God is always available. God will never hang up on us. God will never put us on hold. God will always be there to talk when we want to talk. And so, God, I pray that you would give us a desire to reach up and to reach out to you in prayer like never before. And help us to see today, God, that prayer is not an independent exercise in our Christian life. It's all part of a dynamic and growing and healthy relationship with you. God, may your people rise up today. And be the people of God. And and be known as the friends of God. Whom you are revealing things to. And giving greater understanding to. Light a fire, God, in this church. And in our lives that will not be extinguished. Help us truly to burn for you, God, in the world in which we live. For this world desperately needs you. May they see you, God, clearly and accurately through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. See you some of you Tuesday night. God bless you.